The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. This is Wildcat Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. Put on your dancing shoes. The Wildcats are back in the NCAA tournament as they will play Friday as a three seed. Greensboro, North Carolina to face the Bobcats, Montana State. Welcome to Wildcat Insider. I am Mitch Fortner with the Hall of Fame voice of the Kansas State Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson. K-State goes one and done in the Big 12 tournament, but according to most bracketology, they stay as a three seed, and Friday they will play late after 8 o'clock when they face Montana State in day two of the NCAA tournament. Wyatt, good to see you once again. Uh, just your opening thoughts on K-State, Montana State, Cats getting back to the NCAA tournament. We knew we knew they would be back in for a long time now, but it just feels great now. It's still an amazing feeling to have K-State back in it for the first time in, what, four years? Yeah, good to see you too. I guess I'll start with that. Also good to have the Cats back in the dance, right? It's been a little while. Um, we, we all strive to get there. I think what makes this really, really cool, among many things, is just kind of how it was done in year one under Jerome Tang. I think that, to me, is one of the really big stories because you have a new coach who, in June, had basically seven players on the roster, and here you set today as a three-seed. You mentioned the one-and-done in Kansas City. That was certainly disappointing, and let's be honest, I mean straight-up honest, K-State did not play well at all, and TCU shot very, very well from three and outplayed Kansas State. But I think as you look at it now, uh, staying as a three basically says a lot about the the, um, body of work, if you will. And I think K-State really, really did a nice job uh, throughout the course of the season, especially in the conference, setting the tone early. When you went at Texas and at Baylor back-to-back, that that I think stayed uh, in the minds of everybody for the length and duration of the conference uh, season. And uh, so here you go in as a three, and and I'll be honest, I, I like the draw. It isn't perfect, but none of them are. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but I have to be honest, I was a little surprised at really as a whole where the Big 12 landed. I was expecting a little better. I think K-State was going to be a three. I think KU was going to be a one. Texas a two as an example. But where they're at, especially Kansas, I think surprised some people. They probably should have at least been the second number one, and they were not. That's a little bit perplexing on, you know, and just one of the many things that people are talking about today after the draw yesterday was announced. Yeah, watching um, Selection Sunday and watching the show on CBS, we, you know, I was at Bramlage Coliseum, and so were you. You were in the Shamrock Zone with the team. The media was uh, in that terrace on the north end of Bramlage yep. watching the selection show and watching it unfold. And I had the feeling that K-State would be a three seed. They could drop to four. I didn't really see it, although I was a little bit nervous as the uh, you know as the names were coming out. I was like, well, there could be a spot where K-State did drop to a four. They didn't. You know, I thought when they were unveiling the West Bracket, that K-State might end up being the three there, but then I saw TCU show up at six. I was like, okay, now the Cats will be in the east. Mm-hmm. They'll be in Purdue's uh, region or, or, you know, uh, east uh, east bracket. Um, but being a three, I mean, that's 
that's still amazing, even though just a couple of weeks ago they were projected to be as a two. I thought Texas could maybe sneak in and be a one seed. They did not, even though, man, did they look good in, in Kansas City. They did. Texas looked great, especially the way they played with their depth against Kansas in the in the championship game was very impressive. It was impressive, and I think what a lot of people are seeing now that I feel like I've known all along, not that I'm the know-it-all, but is their depth. I mean, seriously, when you look at their depth and they're coming off of the bench with Serge Jabari Rice, although he's been a starter of late, uh, and guys like that, Arterio Morris came on very strong late in the year, played well in the tournament as an example. And, and, and let's put it this way, bud. I mean, I think this says a lot. They won the Big 12 postseason tournament without Allen. That's impressive in, in every way you look at it. And I thought there were a couple of guys that really got some credit that they finally deserve, and that's Brock Cunningham, who's been a pretty darn good player the last couple of years, but really good this year. And then Dylan DeSue had a terrific tournament. He was awesome. Really, really good. Now, going back to yesterday, what was it like being in the Shamrock Zone with the team? Because we saw them on CBS. like yeah. They were reacting. They were pumped to be there. <laughs> yep. couldn't, couldn't wait to see K-State pop up. And I'll play Jerome Tank's clip in a moment of his – you know, just reaction and the emotions going into the day because it's his first selection Sunday with this team and mm-hmm. being as the head coach of Kansas State. But it seemed like all smiles in that room, which would be the opposite of what Lawrence had when we saw them on TV. There, you didn't get much out of the Jayhawks. You didn't. There wasn't a lot of reaction there, was there? And and I think to me, I'm going to describe or try to describe the build of it from about oh, I think the first players I saw over at ICE, they had a little gathering where we had a, a meal briefly and then were over to the Shamrock Zone for the selection show at 5 o'clock. There wasn't a lot of emotion at 4.10, 4.15, but as the hour moved on and you got closer and the movement was made from the ICE basketball facility over to the Shamrock Zone and they got in their seats and the show was starting, man, you saw lots of smiles. Guys had their phones out and were taping and and. I'll just say yucking it up a little bit. I mean, they were enjoying the moment, and they should. Um, And there were a couple of reactionary things as the brackets being announced where you get a whoa kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So they were were into it, there's no doubt. And then when K-State was announced, they were, as you – might suspect they were they were quite excited. They give it away that they were in to us media because <laughs> their feed or whatever, I don't know if they're getting like the exact live feed from CBS so they knew when they were, I don't know how all that works or uh what they were, what feed they're watching, but we heard the reaction they were about 10 seconds ahead of us. Yeah. So when I think everybody knew when that 3 was coming up it was the last one of the tournament to Correct. be announced it was going to be K-State to pop up there. Yeah. We could hear them really reacting and they're also oohing and on and i you know what i also uh I, I think some of that reaction as well was them realizing because you have four guys on that team from new york city mm-hmm. that if they make to the sweet 16 they're gonna li- they're gonna play out probably a lifelong dream right of getting to play in madison square garden oh sure that that was a large part of it i i mentioned that you know the reaction on some of those things I think there were a couple of times they thought we could pop up here as a four. Yeah, they didn't, and it's it's good that they you know the the downside was waiting almost to the very end to to see your name. I I don't know if 
I was thinking about this last night. I don't remember a time where in the years that K-State has been selected since I've been here that they were that late in the selection show, to be honest with you. I, I could be wrong, I don't, but I didn't have any that just popped right to mind. Uh, but, man, it was fun to watch them. And I mean uh, players, uh, coaches, the staff. I mean, th- this has been, as everybody would understand, a really, really fun season for those guys. Sure, trials and tribulations and ups and downs and so on and so forth. But, again, I think just the appreciation for, you know, where they started to where they are now, even with the disappointment of the Big 12 tournament. And trust me, they were disappointed with that. Um, and I think they had a couple of pretty good days of practice um, Saturday and Sunday leading into the selection show. So I think they're ready to roll. And uh, <laughs> as as everybody started to filter out um, last night, the, the guys, I know Casey Scott was working feverishly on you know travel and those kind of things, and I was working on Montana State stuff and you know printing stuff on Providence and Kentucky. But those guys you know, in the coaching office, went yeah. to work. Um, I, I wouldn't even want to guess how long they were there, but I'll bet it was quite some time. But they're pumped up to be there. Well, I want to uh, – we did get to talk to Coach Tang after the selection show yesterday. Um, he spoke to us, uh, this first clip here, just about the emotions of having his first selection Sunday with K-State. When the names were coming out, I was, like, calculating in my head, but, like, before, like around 4.30ish, I was in my office by myself. No, I wasn't. I was in the bullpen, and I was watching the end of the Purdue game and just thinking that, man, our name is going to be called. I know this. And it was really surreal. I wasn't high. I wasn't low. It was just kind of numbing and just very, very thankful. I was just thanking God for, for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure we are all kind of calculating, as we've said earlier, why, okay, Casey might fall here. They may fall here. Um, oh, D.Y., Derek Young from Casey Online was really getting me worked up with my nerves because he was, like, giving us play-by-play updates of, like, well, Casey could fall here, they could fall there, and then, like, you know, like when St. Mary's popped up, we were all thinking, oh, God, we don't want to be in that, whatever, three or four game that we could see them in the round of 32 because that's a really tough team, and VCU is also really tough, and then it doesn't end up being them. It ends up being, you know, you know whoever it was, but um, – I. I, I don't. I was nervous for some reason. I, I guess maybe it's just because I didn't want K State to fall in a spot where it would be really tough to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Because I mean, I keep it in the back of my mind that this team has had some tough times winning away from Bramlage Coliseum in well, the last couple of months. Yeah, but but I think what I would say is is that the good part of this is that even with Kentucky, Lexington to Greensboro is still about a seven hour drive. Mm. Okay. Now, they're going to have people there. Don't misunderstand. They travel and travel well everywhere. I think Providence will have a, a lot of folks there. I think it'll be a little tougher with Montana State. But uh, I think it'll be a very interesting thing to see the contention of, of K-Staters that go, too. Uh, but but I it, it's not like you're playing Creighton in Des Moines or something like that where it's a lot more of a home team setting, from my perspective, anyway. Yeah, that was another thing. We were all, you know, like still hoping that Des Moines or Denver sure. would be getting the cats, drivable distance, everywhere else. You're probably thinking about flying because, other than 
Columbus, you're you're going out there a ways. Albany, New York, Orlando, uh-huh. Florida, Greensboro, North Carolina. That's way out there. That's not. Yeah. That's probably something you don't want to drive. And th- there was a for for me personally, I, I there was a little bit of hope there for Denver, just because I'd spent some time there, sure. and I know that that is a much like the T-Mobile Center, a terrific arena and uh, you know good basketball country and what have you. And uh, so so, but I wasn't sure it was going to happen. One thing I didn't mention during that time frame where the young guys are eating and before the selection show, uh, there was somebody there talking about they looked at their phone and saw Lenardi, Joe Lenardi of ESPN had moved K-State uh, into a bracket where they would play Princeton. I didn't see that, mm. but that was the word, and I, I thought to myself, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I think Lenardi, uh, you know, coming up to uh... – you know, the selection show had case it as a four. Yeah. I, well, he, he waffled back and forth there for about a day and a half. Um, I'll be honest with you. Maybe I'm overconfident. I never really thought K-State was in a lot of danger to be a four. Mm-hmm. I think their body of work speaks for itself. Um, and, and I think with the way everything else played out, which is a big factor here, um, and, and, and I will say this, the committee – they're being questioned on some things today. We can talk about this later if you like, but but as an example, did they get UCLA Arizona right? As an example, should they have included an Oklahoma State ahead of a Nevada or a Pitt? I think you can make some of those arguments, but I, I never really felt in my mind like there was another team or two that had done enough to knock K-State out of that grouping. Uh, where where they were going to be one of the four three seats. I, you you brought up UCLA. That was a big headline going into the the conference tournaments that they lost one of their best players. Right. And, and so how do you and and you have a Houston team that loses one of their best players in the semis of the American. You don't know exactly you know how long that might last. How did they evaluate Kansas? Not necessarily knowing yet about Bill Self. Is he going to be there? Is he not? You know, just by nature, if he's not, wouldn't that affect the way you see them? Yeah, and I and that's yeah. no knock on what Norm Roberts did. I th- I think he's a very fine coach and did a good job. You know, they got kicked around in the finals a little bit, but I I, I think that was more on their execution or lack thereof and Texas execution and what have you, as opposed to Bill Self. But maybe not everybody sees it that way either. I don't know, but uh, there there are always things. I guess is the point. Uh, but I think I could make a pretty strong argument that if, if there's one team right now, based on the last two years, that's more mad than any, it's Oklahoma State. And I kind of get it. Yeah, last team, uh, the first team rather, left out yeah. of the NCAA tournament. And yeah. we saw, I think, Nevada was the last team to get in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to start comparing resumes, uh, you're, you're probably going to go Cowboys if it's a blind test. You're well, going to probably go Cowboys. And I think that's why the KU fans, in all honesty, are scratching their heads a little bit today based on the 17 quad one wins. And then you have the committee uh, chairman talking about quad one, quad two, Houston versus Kansas, and it's this and it's that. And it's like – Starting huh? to value losses. And, what? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't follow that very well at all, in, in all honesty. And – if that sounds like criticism, it probably is. I just I didn't see KU dropping below either the first number one or the second number one based on their 
body of work. I just didn't. Did you think KU was the number one overall seed going into the Big 12 tournament? Uh, in my mind, they were. But again, you know, and this is no disrespect to Houston or Alabama or anybody else, but think about how many months everybody, not just you and me or people in the Midwest and the, you know, the, the cities of the Big 12, but the, the conference has not been stronger top to bottom, you know, uh, probably in any other year like, quite like it was this time. You know, Alabama's the number one seed in the entire tournament, and Oklahoma beat them, and they were the last place team in the Big Ten, Big 12. Again, it's one day, I get it, and I think Alabama's really good. I'm not saying I don't think they should be the number one overall seed. I don't either. But I don't have a major, major problem with it. Um, and they they just kicked the heck out of a pretty good A&M team who had been did. playing well yesterday and made them look pretty ordinary. So they're they're good. Well, I suppose we'll take our first time out. When we come back, wide on Wildcat Insider, we'll get into uh, – we'll discuss K-State's last game, the loss in Kansas City to TCU. Plus, wanted to chat with you about the all-Big 12 teams. Cats landing a couple of the first teams. Were there any snubs? We'll break it down next on Wildcat Insider. We continue with Wildcat Insider on K-Man. Mitch Fortner and Wyatt Thompson, 537-1350 is the phone number. Uh, if you decide to call in – so. Since we don't have a board up and I'm running the board today, White and I are in our separate studio and we got the phone line right in front of us. I'm not going to be able to screen them. So uh, if you call in, we're going to trust you. <laughs> uh, but feel free to call in if you feel like it as we continue our coverage of uh, the Wildcats here on Wildcat Insider. The Cats will face Montana State on Friday. That's an 840 Central Time tip-off. Eastern Time. Yeah, Eastern Time, 940. Right. Yeah, that's that's game four of four games. That day in Greensboro. Yeah. The game before us will, of course, be the Providence-Kentucky game that I think tips at about 7-10 Eastern, 6-10 Central, if that is if memory serves me correctly. And I'm, I'm anxious to, to get there and see it. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to be back in the tournament. Um, I think K-State did get a pretty good draw. And, man, it's, it's, just, it's just such a nice thing to be back and w- with, with what Coach Tang has done with this program. It's been, it's been a lot of fun and great reward. Let's jump back to Thursday. I was there all day. I watched all four games of the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. Long wait, but we got there as uh, Brett Yormark put us all the way up to the top. That's where the media, not the broadcasters, but that's where the, uh, the just the general media sat. Uh, and I went up, by you. the way, to have an appreciation for it um, on Tuesday uh, before the Wednesday games. We got there Tuesday, and uh, K-State had a little shoot for about 45 minutes, and I was talking to Barry Trammell from the <laughs> from the Daily Oklahoman, and he said, you're going upstairs to look? And I said, yeah, and he said, well, Come when you come back, give me a scouting report. I don't do heights well, <laughs> so I went up with Tom Gilbert and a couple of other guys. And when I came back down, he looked at me and I said, "Well, if you're scared of heights, Barry, you might have an issue or two because it is up there a ways." Um, I think once you're there, I mean, you said up there. I, I was just up there for a few minutes, but I think you kind of get used to it after a bit. I almost equated it to. I felt like I was about the same height as I was at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, if that gives you yeah. an idea of what the press box was like. And 
in that facility. It, it was a ways up there, but in some ways it was pretty convenient, I think, for most of the media because it's right straight down to the elevator and there are the locker rooms and yeah, worked out okay that way. I didn't actually, you know, mind it. Yeah. Some of those in the media did not. But I, I just kind of like the different view. I'm, I mean, I'm used to sitting courtside for games. Right. I'm used to coaches and referees being in my way sometimes, and I can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. From up there, I was able to look kind of straight down on the action. It was kind of cool to watch, like, the three-point shots because you knew – you could tell from up there when they were going to go in. I'll bet. Like, you could easily predict that those balls were going to go in just based on just the, the vantage point, the bird's-eye view of the game. But uh, waited all day for the Cats and Frogs to tip off, and the Cats lose 80-67 to uh, in the quarterfinals. That's the first time since, I believe, the 13-14 year that K-State lost the quarterfinals game. Um, and so, uh, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, I even asked Rum Tang after the game about it. So we knew from TCU we were going to get some tough defense. Mm-hmm. And they were going to try to turn some turnovers in offense, try to get in the fast break and score. K-State coughs it up 20 times. K-State was giving up a bunch of offensive rebounds. But through the first half and through the first four minutes of the second half, I mean, K-State's right there. It's a two-score game. Even though K-State came out of the locker room, I thought, well, just didn't hold on to that momentum. To me, what was really the big punch in the gut. <laughs> I Actually, I said that right. Big punch in the gut. I said that right. I thought I messed it up. Anyway, uh, been a long day. The three-pointers. Watching Chuck O'Banner, or Chuck O'Bannon, nail those threes and hit four of them. I was like, well, they're having a very uncharacteristic day in a good way. It's going to re- be really hard to overcome stuff like that. K-State didn't. Uh, it was a long second half. It was. It was really, really frustrating on lots of fronts, but but like you, I think the game came down to basically their three-point makes 11, which is a little bit more than double of what their normal per-game average would be. Um, they go 11 for 25, and then I know everybody has talked about this, but when K-State struggles – it all kind of starts with turnovers. 20 turnovers in this game. That turns into 20 TCU points. And then the third thing was, you know, just the second-chance opportunities because of TCU's ability to rebound. And K-State actually won on the glass 41-34, but those second-chance points you get outscored by 10. When you combine all of those three things, you know, it, it just is a, a tough – tough thing to do you're not going to win games doing it like that and I just didn't think K-State had the same juice I'll say that that they normally have cut in playing really hard defense they they had their moments where they were okay I mean especially as you said out of the gate they were up 11 to 2 and then the next thing and you're feeling good the next thing you know it's 13 all <laughs> and, and from that particular point on it, it just seemed like um, TCU had the upper hand right, right or wrong and I guess you know I want to bring up Desi Seals as well Desi was amazing yeah he was in the first half for one he hit an early three and I was like after I saw that first three going I was like okay we might get a really good Desi scoring night but he was all over the floor defensively he had four, four block shots in the first half I mean he was 
playing just some insane basketball. And he brought he's brought it up a couple of times. He has a 40-inch vertical. I mean, we saw all 40 inches. Oh. The way he was just elevating to get those block shots was incredible. Well, that's the thing. If you did not watch the game, you probably won't ever have an appreciation of what it was because with that vertical and with his desire to, to get there, I mean, two of those that, if I recall correctly, two of those were where they're on a breakaway situation and he just blocks them off the board from behind, just hustling to get there. Um, if you remember correctly, he missed the final game of the regular season in Morgantown because of a family funeral. I think he was really one of the guys that was cut in uh, and ready to play in this game, and I think he was doing everything he could to kind of bring some of the other guys along. Uh, but it just wasn't their night, and you have to kind of get that turn quickly because, as Coach Tang said yesterday, we're in a scenario now where one more of those and you're out. It doesn't take much. You better be ready to roll. I wonder how many Big 12 coaches of the seven are thrilled for at least a couple of games they don't have to play somebody in the Big 12. <laughs> well, I, I think that's probably well said. I think most of them would say, yeah, we're ready for something different. Yeah. Uh, just, and it's it, I've always marveled at this um, you know, in my time at K-State because the, the coaching has always been good and they know what you're doing. I mean, they even know your calls, whether it's the, you know, the tap of the chin or the tap on the top of the head or, you know, holding up four fingers or whatever it is, they know all your calls, whether they're uh, verbal or whether they're just, you know, signs. Um, So they scout the dog out of you and they know what you're doing and they make you, and I'm talking about everybody, they make you play through your weaknesses and not your strengths. And that's what makes in part the the league so good. I want to switch over to the all big 12 team. Yeah. uh, That was announced was it was it a week ago uh, yesterday? I think, think is when it was announced because we yeah, didn't have a lock right. at Insider mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Uh, as uh, speaking of sick as a dog, um, Jalen Wilson won Big Twelve Player of the Year. I'm talking about myself being sick as a dog. Yes, he was unanimous. I understand the argument. I'll just give you the numbers, and <laughs> you know, I, I tried to make as best as argument as I could. Jalen Wilson wins Big Twelve Player of the Year. Newcomer of the Year is Keontae Johnson. Coach of the Year, Jerome Tang of K-State. Serge Abari Rice wins Sixth Man of the Year. By the way, all Big 12 first team, you have Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. K-State didn't have anybody in the second team. Did not have anybody in the third team. Uh, did not have anybody honorable mention. I was disappointed in that, yeah. by the way. I really thought Naquan or Desi sure. both could have been uh, honorable mention picks. Uh, but Marquise Noel gets on the all-defensive team. He did not win Defensive Player of the Year. Newcomer uh, newcomer team, Keontae's on there, and then nobody on the all-Big 12 uh, freshman team. Um, yes, I was you know, Marquise Noel. I wanted to get at least a vote, right, for Big 12 Player of the Year. I think he deserves that kind of respect. Defensive Player of the Year. Would you have gone with Dewan Harris of Kansas? You know, it's interesting that you asked me that because on the way back from Morgantown, I had a, well, I mean, it was about a two-hour and 20-minute flight and had a pretty interesting conversation or two with Coach Tang, and I asked him about some of those awards. And, you know, the defensive player, I think, in his mind was the hardest one. Dewan Harris is a heck of a defensive player. 
and I mean this all, with all due respect, I, I, I think he's dynamite. I don't know that he's any better defensively than, say, Marquise Noel, Musa Cisse, you know, those types of guys. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have uh, Davion Mitchell uh, in the league this year, but I, I think I'm just kind of trying to project to you here that of all of those specialty awards, I wonder if that might not have been for the coaches the hardest to pick. Just because I don't think there was, I mean, sixth man award to Serge Jabari Rice. I think the next one would be most improved because they went with KJ Adams. But I think you could certainly, oh, yeah. I think you could certainly look at a guy like Marquise Caleb Noel. Boone, Marquise I w- Noel. I would have absolutely gone Marquise yeah. Noel. Gabe Kalsher. I mean, there were a lot of guys that, that for, at least from my perspective, um, could could have been been that. Um, if, if you don't understand my vibe here, I, I think uh, Marquise Noel should have won every award this year. <laughs> yeah. If there was center well, of the year, maybe Marquise Noel. I don't know. Coach <laughs> of the year, Marquise Noel. Recruiter of the year, Marquise Noel. Why not? Um, well, the recruiter of the year, that's a, uh, I mean, aside from Jerome, I, I get, he and Ish, Ish probably gets an honorable mention there. Um, and, and I think, again, when you look at Marquise's overall numbers, and especially the Big 12 Conference numbers, every bit is as good as, as Jalen Wilson from my perspective. Again, not everybody's going to buy what you and I are selling here, and I get it. Most of the people listening to this show probably understand it, though. Looking through purple shaded glasses, I'm trying not to. I, I know. But, I'm with you. you know, Marquis, no, I mean, he might be my second favorite cat when it comes to basketball all the time. Really? Because uh, I, I love his passion. I love that he stayed through the coaching change, was a very heavy hand in the recruiting, uh, wanted to be very involved in that process, and by the way, was extremely entertaining. <laughs> and nobody made the crowd ooh and all like Marquise Noel. Yeah. That, that's really hard to not gravitate towards in a very positive manner, to be very impressed. And I don't think there's any way. I don't, I, how could you not love the guy? Well, it, it's hard not to just because – I've said this before on this show and on others. If you look at his first year at K-State, his numbers were good. They really were. And he was he got some accolades last year, but this year was markedly better uh, across the board. And, and to kind of get through an entire conference season like he did, and I, I'm just going to – repeat this again. I mean, this is a 19.5 point a game guy with 3.5 rebounds and 7.6 assists. And the 19.5 was in league play. He averaged 16.8 for the season as it ended up. But uh, I I just think it's remarkable for his size to be able to do that in this league. I just do. The one other thing that I, you know, I think some had an issue with, you know, I mean, Desi Sills didn't land on any of these lists. And he, 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 I think he was probably heavily considered for, uh, you know, sixth man of the year. I think I agree with Serge Jabari Rice. I think that would be my vote. Well, I, I think with with Jabari Rice, he probably deserves to win it because of his all round game. He is a good defender. I also would tell you he's probably one of the best shot fakers in the entirety of all of college basketball. He makes a, an array of shots. There were times in the uh, several times in the conference season where, on a very deep and quality team, he was in the twenties, 
I'm going to say he had at least four games of 20 or more in the conference in conference play. It might have even been more than that. But he was really, really good. And even in that little stretch where they struggled, he was still there, you know. Uh, I agreed. I think Desi probably got some votes, but I, I think most saw Serge Ibari Rice as kind of a no-brainer pick. Desi Sills kind of reminds me of Reggie Stubblefield. Like just his progression through the year and how he has become a popular player and now he's at every press conference just about like <laughs> his popularity with the fans has kind of caught on like halfway through the season and now as he the season continues to go and he continues to impress us the more he gets popular it's like man we only get this kid for one year yeah, I want him to stick part. around for a couple yeah. more he's there's fun a, there's a couple of things about both of those guys that you mentioned that stick out for me one is the smile yeah. Two is their toughness, and three, maybe this is part of toughness too, but it's just how hard they compete. I mean, when you watch Desi day in and day out, whether it's game scenario or practice scenario, he's at full tilt. <laughs> that's just that's just who he is and what he is, and I, I, I think you're describing what everybody feels in, in watching him this year. He, he gives you what he's got in the tank now. He, he's, he's rock solid. So the KC men's basketball team, not the only team in Manhattan playing some postseason basketball. The KC women's basketball team found out that they're heading to the WNIT, and they will be hosting a first-round game on Thursday. We'll hear from Jeff Mitty when we come back on Wildcat Insider. I'm Mitch Fortner. Over there is Wyatt Thompson. We continue on with our one of Wildcat Insider on KMAN. Coming up on Thursday, 6 o'clock tip-off from Bramlage Coliseum, the K-State women's basketball team with a record heading into the postseason at 17-16. and 16. We'll be hosting 18-14 and 14, Wichita State in the first round of the WNIT, and this comes after K-State making it to the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. They beat Texas Tech in the first round by 10. They lose to the one seed Texas 60-42. to 42. Including myself, the media got a chance to talk with Jeff Mitty, the head coach of K-State women's basketball, earlier today. Excited are you guys to be able to host? Well, I think, yeah, just opportunity to play again. You know, hosting, uh, we've, we've had really good crowds. I mean, we, obviously we enjoy playing at home. Um, so, I mean, that's always – and our fans have been great this year. I've said that numerous times, but they really have been great. Um, that's not just coach speak. That's not just me. We've, when we didn't play well in January, you know, I was surprised that our fans were so great coming back uh, games after that. So I've been really pleased with uh, just uh, the energy of our fans and, uh, and our players rewarded them as well with a good February with some big wins in February. Just how proud are you of this team? You know, you never want to talk about like who's not available, right? Mm -hmm. But we obviously knew that um, we had some big losses early. And so for them to have such a good non-conference, and then when we hit roller coasters in, in January, they stuck together, they continued to get better, continued to practice well. So I'm really proud of that. Hey coach, congrats, man. So yeah, really, really, um, really proud of that part of it. And uh, you know, now our hope is that uh, you know we can get in the postseason here and play well. You're bringing a lot back next year, obviously, but for for players like Emily 
and like Sarah, who, who won't be back next year. How yeah. nice is it for them to get at least one more one more game out there to, to say goodbye to these fans? Yeah, I, I think um, I think for any player, you want to end your career as best you can. Mm-hmm. When that happens, you know, you don't know. Sometimes you don't control it. Sometimes you know whether it be injuries or whatever. But in this case, they've got an opportunity in the postseason. Um, those things will matter to them down the road. They'll take great pride in that they finished it well. They'll take great pride in playing at Kansas State. They already take great pride in it, but um, they'll take great pride in finishing in the right way. And um, we've got a chance just like the 64 teams in the WNIT to win a championship, and uh, that's our goal going into it. Rewind for me. You had a key piece come in in the offseason at Gabby. You had to switch some things around. Yeah, to really uh, get get things off on the right foot to start the season, that had to have been a little bit difficult that time. Well, I think this when you have a positions are different. You know, for example, in football, if you lose a quarterback or something, that may change your entire system. Mm-hmm. When you lose a center, like we did, that uh, is uh, such a focal part of what you do offensively. And you don't have that anymore. Now you're, you're changing to where can you be successful and what can you do. So we decided to uh, launch more threes. We decided to become more perimeter. I decided that uh, that was the best formula for us to be successful. Um, and early we did some really good things there. Um, we didn't shoot it very consistently over the course of the year. That would end up being our Achilles heel is that when we shot it well, we were really hard to beat. When we didn't shoot it so well, uh, we struggled. Mm-hmm. But um, that part was probably the hardest. That's where I was so proud of the team because a lot of the stuff we did over the summer didn't necessarily translate to what we needed to switch to in September. So we had to do things very quickly. They did a great job of buying in and working hard. And, um, you know, you go back to that win over Iowa, you know, that was such a uh, – and even the road win at Wisconsin was such a uh, – um, validation of, of what we were doing at the time. And then for the for the girls that will be coming back next year, how much is is this time kind of about kind of building and springing forward into into next year and kind of getting that good momentum rolling? I, th- I think every experience you can get in one and done situations is good. Whether you know that be the conference tournament where uh, you've you've got to play under that those circumstances and handle that those are different games those are different games and so um you know i thought our group uh uh, battled in kansas city executed a good game plan against texas the next day just once again when we haven't shot it very well it's hard for us to be successful didn't shoot it very well um and now we'll get that opportunity again you know and you talk about uh, young players for example like an eliza Moppin. you know she's learning every day we're watching her play better she had a great last uh three four weeks of the season heavenly greer has done much better things i think hev's made a lot of improvements defensively that we're starting to see in games so those are the real benefits uh and and anytime you know you talk <laughs> we treat uh, <laughs> serena and the twins as if they're just old veterans now right they're sophomores <laughs> and uh, but they played so many games you I almost forget them sometimes when I'm talking about um, the advantage of that so I think it's, yeah all of it's an advantage now um, we got to re- regroup here I mean it's a quick turnaround you find out your information but honestly you'd rather play quickly right now they 
much as they have practiced well, they, they, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to practice right now. <laughs> well, uh, your thoughts on uh, getting Wichita State on Thursday? Yeah, you know, I mean, I found out five minutes ago, so, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about Wichita State um, in terms of style that they've played this year. I don't know anything about um, it's. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I have not seen them. You know, sometimes you see a team, you just randomly you catch them. Whether maybe they play some people you see. So in your scout work, I don't even know that they've played anybody we've played um, because I haven't seen them on film one time this year. And so uh, this will be a quick turnaround for us. We'll dig into it uh, tonight. And uh, my thoughts are that. Um, yeah, I think we should play Wichita State every year, quite honestly. And we've offered that, you know, we'd, we'd, like, to, uh, we'd like to do that every year. I think it's a, a great rivalry in the state of Kansas. I think it's a, a good regional game for us. And um, hopefully we can uh, look down the road here and, and maybe schedule some games uh, uh, with them. Once again, that's K-State women's basketball coach Jeff Mitty. The Cats and Shockers of Wichita State will open up the WNIT and Bramlage Coliseum Thursday at 6 o'clock. That means pregame coverage will start at 5.30. When we come back on Wildcat Insider, we will preview the champions of the Big Sky Conference, the Montana Bobcats, K-State's opponent in the NCAA tournament coming up on Friday night. Plus a look at the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament and more coming up. Hour number two of Wildcat Insider is next. 